Howdy, everybody. Welcome to Star Trek Culture, brought to you by Culture Slate. I'm your host, Liana Ahmed, here, as always, with my wonderful co-host, Stephen Schinder. We're going to talk about Star Trek Discovery, Season 3, Episode 3, People of Earth. I would just have to say it that way, you know, <laughs> for obvious reasons. But before we get into the episode, I'd like to talk to you about some fun Star Trek news. Uh, so, Stephen, do you collect stamps? Are you a philatelist? Um, first of all, I had not known that word until you told me, like, in relation to this. But, no, I do not really collect stamps, but I know a couple people who do. And what you're about to talk about, like, just look at them, I can understand why one would want to collect these. When I was a kid, I used to collect stamps um, from all over the globe. I mean, we didn't have fun collections of stamps, or at least, like, you know, kids like me from Houston, we didn't have a, a way to get anything like that, um, especially in the 70s and 80s. Well, the Royal Mail is releasing a set of Star Trek stamps commemorating the 50th anniversary of Star Trek with um, artistry by Freya Betts. The release date is 11-13, so November 13th. We will get 12 stamps and a miniature of six. Now, what's different about this collection and what's you saw the artwork, so the artwork itself is just stellar. Oh, yeah. The artwork gets yeah. my stamp of approval. <laughs> nice. <laughs> but what what I like, though, is that it covers all the franchises. Something that always used to frustrate me was it was always focused just maybe on TOS or TNG. This is everything. There's Alexander Siddig is one of the stamps. And, um, you know, like, so Deep Space Nine, it goes all the way to Discovery. We have uh, Lorca as one of the stamps as well. So it, it's a beautiful collection. And... I might try to get some, even though I don't collect stamps. <laughs> so it's just, they're just really pretty. It's going to be a gateway thing. It's a gateway drug, isn't it? Kind of feel like it. Kind of feel like yeah. it. I mean, I already got like my uh, Discovery badge here. I don't know if you can see it. Ah, there it is. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> just added the general Star Trek collection. <laughs> kind of. Yeah. <laughs> kind of. So do you have anything else to, that's uh, going on in Star Trek that you found out about? Uh, yeah, so I saw on StarTrek.com, they announced that there's this month-long Star Trek celebration going on on Amazon.com. Uh, so I'll go ahead and read briefly what it says. Okay. Boldly go where no one has gone before with a month-long Star Trek promotion on Amazon.com beginning November 1st, 2020. Celebrating the iconic franchise and the fans who love it, the promotional event will be supported by CBS, Paramount, Amazon, and IDW Publishing, a leading and award-winning comic book and graphic novel publisher. The new promotion will offer access to free digital comics with the purchase of featured home entertainment releases and consumer products. Throughout November, fans can get three free digital Star Trek comics from IDW through Amazon's Comixology when they spend $25 or more on select Star Trek products on Amazon.com. And so uh, the three comics that it's mentioning here are uh, Picard Countdown number one, mm -hmm. Star Trek Year Five number one, and Star Trek Discovery Aftermath number one. Oh, cool! So, so yeah, across the franchise, um, like the newer stuff, definitely. But uh, um, yeah, I think Star Trek Year Five is um, going to release um, number fifteen. In January, so this is if you just want to get started on yeah, that particular like one. Fifteen or nineteen or yeah. something. Yeah. yeah, that one's been around for like at least a year or mm -hmm. two, I think. I have, 
I think, a few issues mm-hmm. of Star Trek Year 5, um, but I have yet to read them. <laughs> um, so much to read. I, I am intrigued, though, because it's like that Year 5 type of thing, yeah. and I want to see like, people's take on that. But Definitely. yeah, it's like if you buy uh, $25 worth of, like I guess, some of the movies or complete series collections or even like Picard season one, Discovery season one and two. Uh, you could get these three number one issues for free. And I guess those could also be a gateway for <laughs> someone to be like, hey, I want to get into Star Trek comics. Yeah, absolutely. I um, actually do like reading comics. Um, it, it's kind of funny. I'll read them on Amazon's uh, Kindle platform. I'll read them via uh, a couple of different ways digitally. And if I like it, I'll go ahead and buy uh, the physical as well. So they get me twice on a good comic. So <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I think four years ago is when I started getting digital Star Trek comics through stuff like Humble Bundle. And mm-hmm. it, it's really weird how different some things are over the years. Like in the TOS era, like way back in like the 60s and I think 70s, like you had the characters not always feeling like the characters. And there's like some TNG stuff where they're like, there's like a couple and they're not in the show, but they're like staples in that TV <laughs> comic series and data doesn't seem as Android like sometimes. So it, it's just fun to like see all these like potentially, you, know, you could look at them as like different universes in yeah. the Star Trek multiverse. And IDW has had some really good stuff over the past decade or so that they've had the, Star Trek license. I don't know if it's a decade or decade and a half, but they've it got feels like it. Now. Yeah, it feels like it's been. Gosh, uh, I have to. I'd have to go back. I mean, you know, I don't know how long you have been going to Comic Con, but for me, for the San Diego one, it's been. It'll be almost twenty years. Well, not this year, obviously, but um, yeah, you know, in I've never been to Comic Con. Oh, really? Surprisingly. Oh yeah. my gosh. Okay, we'll have to figure that out. <laughs> Get you there yeah. somehow. All so right. If it ever happens again, <laughs> we'll get you there. We will get you there, my friend. All right, let's get into let's get into people of Earth because there's a lot. Um, this is the first episode that I didn't get to watch um, ahead of time, or you know, I watched it with everybody else, and so it was fun to like just watch it and, and kind of uh, appreciate it at the same like late hour than everybody yeah, else. You're on the same page as everyone. Right, <laughs> right. Although I did have a, a lunch with somebody who has gotten to see a lot more of this uh, particular season and yeah that was a very frustrating conversation <laughs> anyway let's get into yes. this so Classified section 31 totally <laughs> totally this person is section 31 for for star trek but let's get into this uh, particular one remember how we talked about how we wanted to understand that gap year and how we didn't want to spend a whole lot of time what are your thoughts right. about how much time we got to see the gap year this time yeah, so I remember predicting that we'd have an entire episode recapping that year, and I have in my notes, oh, three minutes in, and we have that whole gap year, like, recapped, and it's like, it's, it's an instance where I feel like this and a couple other things throughout the episode maybe feel too rushed, like, I think it would have been fun to see, like, a whole episode of uh, Burnham and Booker like getting more used to each other and doing all this courier stuff and mm-hmm. 
Uh, maybe we could still get that later on, and it'll be could... like a backtrack or backtrack rather sort of thing. You know, they're they're gonna have to have flashbacks because you hear the lingo that Booker and Burnham and I know you and I will we're gonna talk about that other name we come up with them later on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they talk in their own lingo. They're like, hey, we're gonna do this maneuver, that maneuver. They they have grown really close uh, on in this past year and they know each other pretty well. Uh, but let's, before we get into that, let's just talk about some of the aspects of that, that montage. She's explaining to the discovery crew what that year was like. And, and it's actually in this recording that she's doing. It produces one of my favorite lines out of the show. And we'll talk about that at the end as well. But, you know, she's sort of giving up at, on the discovery as the time passes on. And she's also trying to understand what happened with the burn. And we see this enigmatic recording of, of something, of, of a log uh, manual retrieval from one of the courier stops given to her about NCC uh, 4774. And I think <laughs> this is one of those times where I actually went to Memory Alpha because I wanted to understand like all the ships and it's not listed yet. And I think it's because they're being good stewards of uh, of this of the show and not sharing maybe details that uh, they can put in there but i really just wouldn't want them to just put the registry number in there um, as of today anyway it wasn't in there so we'll, we'll find out more about that particular ship and and uh what we might learn from it um we also get to uh you know talking about the <laughs> what was it the how uh, dilithium is scarce and they're kind of trying to figure out like Stam Stamets doesn't understand how dilithium could yeah, do that right? It's possible that it all blew up Yeah. and then, and then Giorgio has that really fun line uh, says the man who jumps a starship through mushroom space or something right. yep yep mushroom space and you know a lot of people have criticized Discovery for the, the mycelium space right yeah, the spore drive and all that. Yeah, it's, you know, I just think it's kind of fun and it's interesting. And if you know anything about uh, fungi and mushrooms and things like that, like or, uh, just the fact that in the UK there's like one giant uh, spore that like lives throughout the, um, the soil there. There's a lot of interesting things like that. Um, it's a monoculture that feeds a lot of the soil there. It, it, it's fascinating stuff. I, if you're a nerd yeah, like me and you've read about it, it's like, oh yeah, okay, this is possible. <laughs> you know, why not? Yeah. Maybe there is a science to the mushrooms that make Super Mario grow. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's also one of my favorite jokes about, you know, this mushroom walks into a bar and the bartender's like, no, get out. You know, we don't serve your kind here. And the mushroom's like, what? I'm a fun guy. I'm yeah, a fun guy. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's a terrible joke. Yeah. I, I've ruined your day with that one several times, I think. <laughs> Anyway, moving on to the next part, we see uh, there's that um, the wall of sadness. Um, I had other names for it, but so the wall of death. Um, Tilly is putting somebody else's uh, badge on that wall and kind of crying over them. You know, she's the most human of us uh, and the most relatable character on that show. Uh, that we kind of it's she's our gateway, you know, to the human to the humanity of everyone yeah. on that ship and and. You know, she's trying to be the better officer. You know, she's trying to, like, uh, toughen herself up a little bit in front of 
um, Burnham and, uh, you know, but the weight of it all it has really hit her. You know, there are most, more or less a thousand years removed from everybody that they've ever known and loved. They're alone. They are aliens in their own time, you know, in their own uh, universe in a sense. And yeah, like it's been centuries and mm-hmm. she mentions that like all the people that she knew were late to work and they lived their lives and they're all gone. And it's, it's really heavy to yeah. taking all of that in. And I really b- believe the acting yeah. here. It's like, yeah. it, you know, you could tell how big the weight was on her shoulders right then and there with that realization. Yeah. And, um, you know, her talking about just, the, it's the little things that you miss. And those of us that have experienced loss this year, we, those are the things you miss about the people that are no longer with you. It, it's there. Yeah. There's the bigger grandiose. Yes. This was person was X, Y, Z to me, but it, it was the way they made you laugh. It was the fact. And, you know, this brings us to the way they cooked uh, she brings up hummingbird cake, which is delicious. And, you know, yeah, what, it, what exactly is hummingbird cake? <laughs> you'll have to look up the recipes. I, I will actually put a recipe in, you know, in our chat if you want. Um, but yeah, it's <laughs> delicious. I have not made it myself. It, um, baking in me, especially Western desserts, it, there's a long history of hilarity in like, you know, cinnamon cookies that I forgot the cinnamon in, that kind of stuff. I could cook otherwise, but baking? Yeah, not my thing. <laughs> so that's why, that's why I just, I, I can tell you about my disasters <laughs> making stuff, but maybe not. Yeah, I mean, it does sound delicious, but then again, there aren't many cakes that I dislike. Yeah. So. Cake is what? Cake is know. eternal. And I know cake some people think eternal. cake is a lie, not in this case. <laughs> you got the memes of just everything being a cake. Yes. That's, that made this line kind of funny. Yep. Me. And, you know, thinking about when they recorded this and just how prophetic some of the stuff that they're talking about became, unintentionally even, yeah. it was, they, they didn't have an idea that we would be in this perpetual lockdown and, you know, there was a virus out there to, you know, taking out a lot of people. And, um, yeah, it's, that's why the, the, the tone of this takes on a whole new meaning. A lot of these episodes, especially that, that we've seen thus far. All right. So we, you know, we talk about how Burnham talks about how she feels different and Tilly's like, yeah, you, you're, you are different. And even when she's talking to, to Booker, um, Booker's like, so what does this feel like to you coming back home? And she's like, I don't know if this is home, you know? Yeah. She says it feels familiar, but far away. And that resonated with me. And like, it's been a year for her. So like, she is the same person, but she's gone through different experiences that could have changed her in some ways. Uh, they even mentioned that she seems a bit more, like, lighthearted, I yeah. think. And it kind of reminds me of, like, when the doctor on Doctor Who goes through a regeneration, their personality might change drastically from one moment to the next. And that's kind of what this feels like, because we don't experience like a full year or full season of Burnham changing into who she is now. She's, she's regenerated. That's a great way to yeah. think about it. And in her montage, that line that I do like, you know, it's, uh, it's possible to love something or someone and also, you know, to let them go. You know, you don't, you know, that's part of it too. She's, she's like, I love you, but I have to let you go in order for me to, uh, to regenerate really, uh, to, to yeah. be fully of this, 
of this time. And um, it's, <laughs> it's basically that they're going to go back to Earth. That's the whole point of this episode. It's reuniting with the planet Earth. It's in the title. It's in the title. <laughs> and we um, we also don't know what to expect from Earth. We just kind of assume it's still where the Federation of Planets is is uh, centered in the Terran system. And they do a slow approach to the Terran system. And you can see uh, Lieutenant Commander Joanne's smile as as they uh, enter the solar system and they're coming across Saturn and, and you know, they're making their way in. And um, then much like... Uh, the aliens out of uh, the, the day the Earth stood still and, and other classic sci-fi. They're the aliens, really, though. They're not the humans in this place. Um, Earth is not very welcoming to them. It's very different. Right. Yeah, because they are people out of time, so they're not as familiar to this Earth now, so they might as well be aliens. Exactly, exactly. Um, they bring um, lots of dilithium with them, though. <laughs> so, yeah. And we see just how much dilithium they have. I mean, that was something that I didn't even think about. Uh, and I I remember I obsessed about original series as a kid, so I watched them over and over again. Didn't really have much else to do. <laughs> so I didn't have cable, didn't have much else to do. So, you know, whatever uh, over-the-air station was showing... Uh, I watched it. So I know a lot of that engineering space. And I was trying to remember, like, they kind of, this engineering space within Discovery is very much like the one on the Enterprise, but not quite like the one on the Enterprise. So it was kind of neat to see how, you know, they updated it and morphed it for this, you know, this series and modernized it for our viewing pleasure. But I really liked seeing how, uh, you know, the engineering section was working with the dilithium and everything. I thought that was kind of neat. And for all my people with 3D printers, I'm sure y'all can make as much dilithium as you want, and people will buy it alongside the you know the gold plated latinum that some of y'all make. <laughs> so, um, with with the uh, with a planet Earth basically um, telling them you know who the heck are you and where did you guys come from? They they've already decided to concoct a story about. Uh, being a generational ship that was on a, you know, a classified mission, yada, yada. And um, it doesn't really pass uh, the Earth Defense Force's uh, com- the commander's sniff test. She's like, no, something is not right here yes, with you guys. Very <laughs> yeah. She can really see through them. Um, what were your thoughts on her as a character? Um. Well, I mean, we kind of need a foil to cause some conflict here and there, but it wasn't as much conflict as you might expect, but I was kind of fine with that mm-hmm. because it, we kind of need a bit of a, a little bit of a breather episode with these people reuniting yeah. together. Yeah. Um, although I think I also would have been fine with having like the gap year thing. <laughs> you want your year. <laughs> <laughs> you desperately want to know what happened. I think we're going to find out in the in the remaining yeah. 10 episodes. Never fear, Steven. I think I think you're going to get something. Well, I do like that we got more about um about Booker and Burnham and uh so when when Booker arrives, you know, Giorgio does her um, you know, she's remember she's mirror universe Giorgio where she raised Burnham, you know, so she's not 
uh, she has a very different relationship to Burnham. She's very protective of Burnham. And so when there's this guy that, you know, her baby girl has been, um, you know, hanging around with for the better part of a year, uh, you know, she just has to look at him and, and he's like, no, no, she's not my girlfriend. She's not, you know, we, we didn't ever, we didn't, you know, whatever. And, <laughs> yeah, and she, <laughs> I think that maybe something almost happened. Exactly. And it, it feels like they have, like, watching this episode, you can tell that they have more chemistry than they did when they met each oh, other definitely. in the season premiere. And they're trying to kill each other. passage <laughs> of time more convincing. Definitely. And, uh, you know, like, just when you and I were just talking about it, just because we kept got tired of saying Booker and Burnham, we just started calling them Bookum. So that's yeah. our name, folks. Whenever we're going to talk about Booker and Burnham, it's just going to be Bookum. Because it's just... Hashtag Bookum. Hashtag Bookum. Yeah. <laughs> That's their couple name. <laughs> so, anyway, um, you know, it was just, it was cute to watch them, uh, their banter back and forth and, you know, seeing, um, yeah, who doesn't like to see Booker in that uniform? That's just, you know, I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> I'm not supposed to be, salt, you know, thirsty on this <laughs> to be good. <laughs> so, anyway. Wow. <laughs> Come on! <laughs> so, who doesn't? Okay, Both of them. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, let's move on. Well, we're talking about, uh, we find out that there are raiders that constantly um, are trying to violate Earth's space. So Earth has this massive defense grid around the planet, and they're already suspicious of this ship that does not appear in the registry. These guys are claiming to be Starfleet, and they don't look like the Starfleet that, you know, anybody knows, at least in that era. And um, they're very wary of raiders, especially for dilithium. And then they decide to hide all the dilithium that they have on Booker's ship, which is docked inside Discovery, which you know was going to be used in the, you know, in the next act. Like, that's, come on, that's just given. That's a given right there. With the team deciding to work with, uh, you know, Earth, De- I forgot, is it Earth Defense Command or Earth Defense Force? I can never remember, like, the, the title and it's pretty forgettable. Yeah, it is kind of forgettable, right? And I'm not alone. I watched the Ready Room and Jonathan Frakes. Yeah, the next episode is called "Forget Me Not." So <laughs> That's pretty maybe funny. We're supposed to remember it for next episode. Maybe I'm not alone though, because Jonathan Frakes, you know, um, Commander Riker actually directed this episode, and he couldn't get it right during the Ready Room. So I don't feel so bad. I'm not knowing it. I was like, he directed it. He couldn't remember the name. Okay, that's fine. I don't feel so bad now. With um, so. The commander tells us about this particular raider named Wen, who's been um, very uh, ferocious and destroyed a lot of their ships and you know, whatever ships they've had remaining. So uh, they're like, if you're if you're going to be here, then you've got to at least you know understand like what you're up against and and if you have any dilithium at all, which we're assuming you do, because how else did you get here? Then they're going to come and get you. They're gonna they're gonna come after you. They they will destroy your ship. You know and while this is going on, there's another team that has beamed in to the engineering core, and we get to meet Adira, who is played by uh, Blue Del Barrio, and um, they're inspecting the engineering section. They're just poking around. We don't really know what they're looking for. Right. Yeah. And Adira is 16, I think? Yeah. Yeah. And... <laughs> In the, in the few seconds that she's been rooting around, she does a little bit of sabotage to keep 
discovery in place and discoveries shields are down and like a lot of things are not right in engineering and they figure out that it's everywhere Adira's been and that she's kind of like uh done a couple of things to stall them and to keep them in place but she has her own agenda and it's um not she it's they um they've got their own agenda and you know more on that in a second but sure. we find out that um basically she's been looking for a place to fit in you know they've been looking for a place that they would like to fit in and they look at Stamets as somebody who can understand them. And Stamets has another great line there where, um, well, he's showing off his connection to the spore drive. And Adira asks, are there others like you? And he says, well, there's only one like me, you know, basically he's unique. And, and Adira says, yeah, I'm kind of the same way too, you know, and I love that exchange. It was, it was very beautiful uh, to see that between them for a lot of different reasons. Um, who Blue is, who Anthony is in real life and who, you know, their personal actual struggles. And then also what their characters represent, you know, he is this genius guy that, you know, doesn't really relate to people. And, um, we find out a little bit later what Adira is. And I don't want to give it away just yet because it doesn't right, come up just we're yet. Not there yet. We're not there yet. Yeah, like overall, like even in general, it kind of also speaks to how each person is unique and there's mm-hmm. not one person exactly like another. Like there yeah. are always going to be slight differences here and there amid the similarities. Yep, very much, very true. Um, what was the other? There was a line here basically about the. Um, you know, basically I'm trying to see if like there was something else specific here between um, Adira and uh, uh, Stamets, but I, I'm not seeing that I've got anything else extra here. Um, we also see that, you know, when does engage the ship and they get um, the ship's systems back online in, in time but, you know, the Earth Defense Force team that's on there is kind of trapped there with them. And and um, Bookham decides to take care of the dilithium. And this is obviously when you're, you know what's going to happen. They're going to take the ship full of dilithium and leave the, you know, uh, the docking bay. And very much in classic Burnham style, she doesn't explain herself. She just takes action and right. leaves Saru to guess what that action is. And, um, you know, we're kind of trying to figure out how Saru's going to figure this out. Is he, uh, how different is she in her actions? Is Saru going to be able to connect? That was kind of one of the issues I had, like, to your point about being rushed. It's like, they have only reconnected for, like, what, maybe a couple of weeks at tops, and you expect them to, like, be that simpatico and understand each other to get each other's tactics and moves. And she's had a year of, um, growing and changing and he's still the guy she left you know a couple of you know a couple hundred years ago and and she's like no no he, he's gonna figure it out because he's starfleet and then you think okay well maybe maybe he will understand what she's trying to do and and to a certain degree he kind of figures out what she's doing and this is again where they rush it a little bit yeah. <laughs> right so what are I your mean, thoughts it, there it does yeah kind of feel like because, you know, there are people in your life where even if you don't see them for a while, when you reconnect, it's like picking up right where you left off. Yeah. But when it comes to tactics, I would think that it would take some 
like a bit more time to yeah. like, get used to each other's strategies. Yeah. You know, I feel like it's kind of a different scenario there. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, when has everyone's weapons are way better than discoveries at this point in time, right? So discovery isn't exactly a, you know, a, uh, world class, uh, advanced ship anymore. It's kind of a relic. I mean, Adira even calls it a museum. So it's, yeah. It's kind of like you know that that ship's not going to last in a in a firefight here. So what do you what do you think you're going to get out of this? And sure enough, Wen's uh, weapons, if his puny little raider ships, you know, manages to take those shields down pretty quickly, and and uh, Burnham does a a, a bait and switch on Wen, saying that I'm going to give you all the dilithium I've got. You know, just lower your shields, and then the next you know they've captured Wen and they bring him aboard the Discovery. That that was like the like that that just happened so quickly. And yeah. uh <laughs> another thing that felt kind of rushed. Yeah. And then speaking of rushing and things being too slow, then they start to, to talk between Wen and the Earth Defense Force leader. And we we get another great uh Giorgio one liner and we also get some good action from Michelle as well. Uh, you know, she uh, cuts down Wen in half, quite literally, <laughs> and takes off their helmet, and you find out that Wen is a human, uh, being portrayed by one of my favorite character actors ever, Chris Heyerdahl. Ah, you know. Um, so he's been in Stargate, all over Stargate. He was in um, Sanctuary, of course, and now he's in Star Trek, at least in this episode. I think he's done some other Trek as well. Uh, I think if he does Star Wars, he's hit the Star Trifecta, if you think about it. Right, yeah, I didn't find him on Wikipedia, so he's hasn't been in Star Wars yet, yes. so get on that Lucasfilm. <laughs> I know, get on that. Heyerdahl is just an amazing, uh, it just all of his expressions and just over the, what, 20, almost 25 years that I've seen him and stuff, <laughs> it's just, I'm just thinking back to, like, when I first saw him on Stargate. Yep, it's been a long time. Anyway, you know, he talks about... It's been a long road getting from there to here. <laughs> very, very true. <laughs> very true. All that jazz. Yeah, <laughs> so, anyway, uh, you find out that he's a part of the Titan colony, and that uh, at the time of the burn, they were self-sustaining, so they didn't really need to bother with Earth, but then... They had some catastrophes and they lost part of, or a good majority of, um, their, um, habitat. And that kind of harkened back to something that happened in the expanse. So I was just like, wait a minute, wasn't that also on the, <laughs> so when you get your sci-fi kind of mixed together in your head. Yeah, that's <laughs> like, that track expanse. <laughs> yep. So. Wasn't it? I forgot what, which, uh, moon it happened on in, uh, Titan. I mean, in, in The Expanse. I could have sworn it was also Titan. Uh, I've never seen The Expanse. So oh, was, we'll yeah, have to I'm get just you there. Combining the two words like Trek Spans. Trek Spans. Yeah. I'm also surprised that Trek Spanded Universe isn't a widely used term. Uh, we can make it eventually. We'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder why. That's a good question. Well, you know, The Expanse does have a Star Trek connection with Naran Shankar uh, being the executive producer. He was oh, one of the producers for Star Trek TNG, as you know. So there is a direct connection between the two shows, but, you know, who's helping run them. And, uh, yeah, The Expanse is fantastic in its own right. We can talk a whole other hour just on The Expanse when you watch it, after you watch it. <laughs> um, anyway, so let's go back to the end of this episode. So uh, the Earth Defense Force is pleased with Discovery and what they've done, and also with the diplomacy going on between the two sides. They understand that basically... 
um, this is humanity is so fractured and you just get an idea of how isolated humanity really is that um, earth has become xenophobic even against its own people unwittingly so I mean basically these people have been like trying to shoot each other out of the sky for the better part of like a hundred something years and in actuality they are both human and um, one of the things that is sort of hinted at with um, our first introduction to when is something he says about like earth only cares about itself and the second time through of the, me watching this episode, the inflection that Heyerdahl uses, you get the hurt of it. Like the first time through, it just sounded like a impudent line from a villain. And then you hear it again. You're like, there's something else that he added to it. Maybe that I didn't hear the first time through. And, you know, had I paid attention, maybe I would have caught on. There was something else there, but he definitely puts an inflection in there. Like, you know, a hurt, there's a hurt with it. It's not just, a villain being villainous. There's something else there. And, and so you think it might have been a past experience that might have uh, informed the that sort of personality yeah. that we see here? Yeah, I think so. Very much so. It'll be interesting to see how they make peace because there's a lot of hurt and angst because Titan felt abandoned by Earth. Ergo, you know, generations of people are now attacking Earth for dilithium basically they're trying to survive and earth has uh closed its doors the federation doesn't even live on earth anymore the message that the 12 year old message that um uh burn found burnham found it is from an admiral that we learn is dead or at least we think they're yeah. dead <laughs> admiral senator yeah. yeah yeah mostly dead is still slightly alive because we find out that Senatal was a trill. Um, and you find out that Adira is a human hosting a trill. <laughs> so, yeah. And you find out that Adira is also Admiral Tall. <laughs> so, yeah. So you got like those same memories in there, given that trill passes down. It's like a symbiotic thing it's, for anyone yeah. who might not be familiar. Oh, that's true. Yeah. If you're listening to a Star Trek podcast or watching a Star Trek video discussion thing, like I, you're probably familiar with it. Um, go look it up on Memory Alpha. I yeah. Guess. Yeah. It's like, it's like there's Gen Z index. There's, you know, there's, there's like a lot of uh, Daxes that we all know and love that are trolls. So yeah, Esri, Dax. Esri and um, the old man, it was actual name. I just forgot, but they're all the Daxes. That's, the Dax Trill uh, lineage. Yeah. Um, and this one is the Tall uh, Trill lineage. And what's interesting, and because uh, they're in a human host, we can't access their memories. And so um, that's going to be part of it. And I think it's hinted at in the next episode as well. You see uh, Adira in a sort of dreamscape. And it's it, it's reminiscent of when Jedzia was trying to access some of her previous lives. So the thing about a Trill is that they can access everyone they've ever been. So they have like the experience of all the lifetimes they've led before um, all rolls into one. And typically they can access these memories pretty easily. But in this particular case, um, because the host is not Trill, there is an issue. And so um, we'll see how they overcome that. And I think that's where the forget me not part comes in as well uh, for next yeah. week. Yeah, so, I think you're onto something there. You think so? Yeah, that's one of my predictions for next week is that we're going to learn more about uh, Senatal. And then um, all the scenes we've seen thus far, they include 
of a very lush planet scape and you know just some as a cosplayer for me i just always look at the costuming and i'm like oh that's a i wonder if we could do that you know <laughs> so um with my uh my star trek la away and san diego away team players that we've got you know we've got some fun things to, to think about for next time that we maybe will get together um what are your predictions for next week um so there's like a bit more of the episode that we can we should cover oh, after this, but sure. my prediction, um, uh, that's, I, I'm not sure if I have a prediction for next week specifically, mm-hmm. but I have like a really wild prediction for like just the series in general. Okay. Um, it's probably going to make people mad. <laughs> um, Go for it. <laughs> okay. So they're going to have to go back in time and somehow cause the dilithium explosions to, like, maintain the time. Oh, I see. You gotta close that time loop. (laughs) It probably won't happen, but if it does, like... I don't know. I mean, Kurtzman was pretty clear about them never going backwards in time again. And I don't know, I'm jumping ahead to, you know, I was talking about predictions, but... Um, I was just so curious. I was like, there's, I just want to know what you think about like the whole set at all thing and everything else. Like there's just so much to do there, but, um, the, the crew gets to go to earth and they get to go to Star back to Starfleet Academy. They get to all go visit a tree that everyone <laughs> wanted to visit that they all used to study under. Um, and it was uh, also one of those randomly prophetic moments that shouldn't have been prophetic because, but because it's 2020. Here we are. Yeah, I mean, this scene resonates with me because it reminds me of, um, I used to go to UC Irvine, and in the middle of it is Aldridge Park, with it has some great trees, and I, I just love that place, and so it's been forever since I've been there, mm. and, you know, with everything that's been going on, it's like this felt like watching this scene felt like home to mm. me in a way which i guess ties into the whole thing of like does it feel like home that we get throughout this episode yeah that that the theme of um coming home it's kind of funny you mentioned college and every time like i went away to college to uh, texas a&m and we also have like a we had a couple of different places that were uh famous for their trees and one of this there was one tree that we call the marriage tree and it was this one branch that kind of um touched the ground in a very lovely way and some people um were proposed to while standing or sitting on the branch because it was a giant branch enough to like hold a a two people or some people were asked to get married under the branch you know so it had this sort of love connection under there but the uh you know just lovely spaces and just you know coming home from college also kinds of feels like the same thing where you're you're away and you come back and it's very different coming back to your hometown and um yeah (laughs) It's it's funny you mentioned that it's it's exactly the same feeling um, of being away from college, being away to college and coming home, um, being away you know for our uh, friends and family in the military, being away. It's completely different coming home um, for them, and then you know for these guys, it's a lot of things at once. It's also um, I, f- I forget the character who says this, um, but he talks about being uh who thought that we would be standing in the same place 934 years later and it would still be here you know the fact that the permanence of that tree was was so uplifting to everyone 
Yeah, and come to think of it, I do think I now have a prediction for next week. Oh, so, okay. You know, you know how um, Tilly asks for like five more minutes there. Yeah. So I think the next episode will be just them at by that tree for five whole minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think they needed it. And, you know, Saru asked Burnham, like, why didn't you go there? Like, and Burnham's like, why don't you go down there? You know? And they also realized that maybe for them, it's that, um, they didn't maybe need it as much. Um, I kind of feel that as time goes on, like, they've, they've been, well, he's not Earth, he's not an Earthling anyway, but for him, even Starfleet, it doesn't feel like Starfleet. And for her, it, she's already mentioned this uh, throughout the episode. She's out of out of touch with who she used to be. She's not the same person. And uh, that conversation she has with Philippa Giorgio as they're walking um, in the hallway um, earlier on, as, you know, to meet the Earth Defense uh, Force folks. Um, both of them asking each other, like, "Wait, why are you still here? Like, no, why are you still here? Uh, you know, she's like, I can sense a change in you." And, and, uh, she's not wrong. You know, that that's the motherly instinct of Giorgio over Burnham again. Yeah. Like Giorgio senses that Michael had like a freedom from obligations. And so now that she's reunited with the discovery, it's like now she does have obligations, but by that same token, she, uh, Michael had a great talk with Saru before the end. Mm -hmm. And like, it's like this is where she feels she belongs and she says she's she'd be honored to be his number one and that's just a very heartfelt yeah. moment there. It's it's very in the DNA of Star Trek. Yeah. I wonder, you know, she's she really wants to be his number one, but that's gonna the the conflict within her is gonna be her wanting to be the Starfleet officer that dream versus this other dream that freedom that she felt for the year that she wasn't in Starfleet those are going to clash and I think that's going to be something that'll resolve or maybe not you know but that's going to be the conflict within for for Burnham for sure we're going to see her have to make a choice I think by the end of this we have seen how she's changed a bit like I think Booker at one point said that he really likes when she's monosyllabic yeah very weird yeah so now i'm like looking back thinking huh does she usually use words that were more than one syllable and (laughs) is her dialogue from here on out mostly monosyllabic it's like it kind of makes me want to pay attention to that but but also uh that gap year it's like where she's just doing stuff outside of starfleet Mm -hmm. maybe kind of want a Star Trek spinoff that follows just a normal character who's never been in Starfleet and just going to these different worlds. Because, like, it's called Star Trek, not Starfleet. You know, I have to tell you this. So, when um, yeah. the episode aired that uh, featured Wesley Crusher um, and the top, and the Traveler and he decides to leave oh, yeah. Star Trek... Back in- TNG. In the TNG era, right? And so I, I watched the episode when it aired on, on TV. And uh, being a, you know, a kid in my living room in Houston, Texas, away from Southern California, there's no internet, at least not the way it is now, definitely, um, at the time. So there's no way to know what Hollywood was planning. You know, there was 
maybe Uber fans that did know at the time via like BBSs or some other methodology, but I didn't know that Will Wheaton was just leaving the show. I had these wonderful thoughts that Will Wheaton was going to host a show, much like what you said, where it was going to be him and the Traveler going throughout the galaxy and doing their own thing and us discovering the rest of this beautiful universe that Gene Roddenberry had created for us. And I was really disheartened to learn months later that that was not the case. Will Wheaton was just leaving the show. And I was like, dang it. (laughs) What a missed opportunity. I think there might be a book or something about that, but it'd be nice to see something like that on the screen as well. Yeah, definitely. And I don't know if Will Wheaton's up for... Uh, becoming an adult Wesley Crusher again. <laughs> but um, I would love to see that and just see how he turned out. Um, and he hosts the Ready Room and he does a fantastic job of that. And I think he's got some other work that he's doing as well around Star Trek. But I really would love to see how he turned out. It's just, you know, a big gap in our hearts <laughs> for for that character. Like, I know people didn't like him. And when he first, that first show, that show first started, I was kind of annoyed with his character but then as he as the seasons went on i grew to love his character and then you know when he left i you know like i just said i was like ah he's gonna have his own show oh he's not is he (laughs) anyway well you know steven we've spent a great deal of time talking about people of earth and the fantastic episode that it was um any other thoughts you want to share before we bidded you uh so I've already gone through most of the quotes that stood out. Oh, yeah. But one that turned up before the end, I can't remember who said it, but they said, if things were easy, they wouldn't be worth it. Yeah. And I guess that's a reminder that, yeah, life isn't always going to be easy, but if you work for it and fight for it, you'll get to the things that really matter and it'll be all the more rewarding um so yeah there are lots of great things that resonated with me in this episode even though it did feel very rushed in places to me so it's not bad but it it, like i enjoyed it it's good but it could have been better in some respects but there are like these gems here and there that i was able to glean from it yeah definitely i um it was a great episode. I think next week's is going to be classic Star Trek, a bit more on the episodic, yeah. you know, feel to it. My favorite line, I think, is I'll just, you know, for my, what's going on for me personally as well, like the line at the very beginning where she says, it's possible to love somebody and still have to let them go and resonates so much with me. And then also cake is, of course, eternal, especially when somebody else is making yes, it. <laughs> so, is That's the best quote of this. <laughs> the best line ever. Well, thanks, guys, for staying with us as we talked about the people of Earth. Go ahead and check out Star Trek Culture on Culture Slate on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you have any ideas or thoughts for the podcast, please email us at Star Trek Culture Podcast at gmail.com. All right. Live long and prosper. Live long and prosper. <laughs>